Hey, welcome to the Portrait Church Podcast. Pastor Jay here, and I'm excited for you to listen to this message as part of our vision series here at Portrait Church. I hope these messages give you insight into how we as a church are going to follow and live the lifestyle of Jesus. If you would love to know more about our church, you can visit portrait.church online or find us on social media or find us at the Mitten Building on Sundays. Hope you enjoy this message and hope to see you soon. Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Then he goes on to say, This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You may be seated. So we are in the middle of our vision series, which the purpose of this vision series is to take four Sundays to give you an understanding of how we as a church are going to operate, right? So, uh, Apple, right, just came out with an Apple 15, 18. I don't know what number is it now. 15? 15, yeah, 50, right? It's like, and I, I heard it was a lot. It, there's, there's a lot of major, you know, like disappointment because it's like, y'all didn't change much. Y'all just made us get another charger. It's like, what is going on, right? But the thing that Apple updates is this operating system, right? Because it's, it's how well that the device runs, that's gonna make you appreciate how to use it. And so for us, this vision series is simply to give you an understanding of how we are gonna operate as a church, how we are gonna, quote unquote, run and live as a church. And so in the beginning, we talked about how God is the creator of all things, that when he made everything, he said it was so good. There was nothing wrong. It was perfect harmony. It was perfect shalom. And this shalom was a universal flourishing. There was wholeness. There was delight. In short, it was how things were meant to be. And he created every single one of us with dignity. He created every single one of us to domain, which means to to live and work and play and how we use our authority, how we use the things that God has given us to glorify him. This was the great mandate. Spread my goodness. But because of disbelief in the the goodness of God, because of disbelief in God being a very good designer and creator of everything, sin would enter into the world. And sin is essentially the absence of God's goodness. It is essentially to miss the mark on how God has called us to live and to domain. And so God being so loving, caring so much about the goodness of his creation, he sets out on a rescue mission. And part of that rescue mission was to to create a covenant, which was a promise with this man named Abraham. So he makes this promise, this covenant, not a contract like we're used to in our world, but a covenant with this man named Abraham. And he says, through you, I'm gonna make your family line. It's gonna be popping. It's gonna be great. Sorry, popping means it's gonna be very, very good. It's going to be amazing through your line. And the way that God did that is 
he not only freed his people right after this happens from captivity, from slavery, but then he uses a man named Moses and Moses gives them what we know as the 10 commandments. And these 10 commandments, I believe we have them. It says that you shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. What this means, people often say, take the, it's not just saying, oh my God. That's not what he necessarily means here. Taking the Lord's name in vain often is, it means making false claims that are not aligned with his name. You ever hear things like the prosperity gospel? They're making a claim that God is gonna do something for you to prosper you as if God is like just a magic genie. God wants to prosper us, but it's not always in the way that we want. And so what this is saying, is it's not that we don't do that. It's just, man, when we speak and we communicate in the way of God, it's not making false claims and giving a purposeless direction that's not tied to who he is. It says, keep the Sabbath day holy, honor your father and your mother. It says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. The reason God created these 10 commandments is because he wanted his people during that contextual time to be different. He wanted them to be distinct. He wanted his people to operate in ways that that cultural context was not operating. So he gives them these commandments. And not a single person, not a single leader, not a single judge, not a single king, not a single person could fulfill that perfectly and execute the mission, the rescue that God had designed. So he's like, look, y'all, I'm tired of these humans. They keep messing this thing up. Let me go ahead and send my son. And so he sends in Jesus. And Jesus doesn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he humbles himself, taking the very form of a servant, putting on human flesh, God. And he lives this life without a single ounce of sin. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says that God made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what we called the great exchange. That God took all of our rap sheets, even the rap sheets that y'all did this week, on the way to church. If you got kids, on the way to church. Y'all laugh, that's a pain laugh, right? It's like, ooh, ooh, Lord, you got me this morning. You got me. Satan's kids, that's what they are. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Made in God's image. Made in God's image. Sometimes not in his likeness, though. <laughs> but we have this great exchange because now our rap sheets, these sinful rap sheets, have been traded for Jesus' perfect one. Spotless. And so we have this great exchange. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. Nobody can do this but me. And so he lives perfectly. Because now when you and I 
when we go before God, the creator of the universe, the designer of all things, when we go before him, now because of this great exchange, he doesn't see us for our sin. Those who have put their faith in Jesus and the finished work of what he's done on the cross, he sees now his son. And so now we get in our main text this morning and we have a religious expert in the law. And they're, they're trying to pepper Jesus with questions. They're trying to, trying to trick him. They're trying to, trying to catch him. And here he goes. And he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? I, oh, yeah, that's how we're going to get him. Which is the greatest one? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But then he does something interesting because they only asked for one, right? He's like, hold up, hold up. And the second one is like, I imagine they're probably sitting there like, what is he? We tried to catch him and now he's telling us his one and now he's like, there's a second? And then he says, second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so today what we are talking about is we have the great mandate, we have the great exchange, and now we have the great commandment. And the great commandment here. Jesus says through scripture, this commandment, he knows that we cannot, we cannot fulfill all of those 10 commandments. He knows that we couldn't do it. That's why he paid the price for us. But now he says, as long as you live, these, if you want to embody the distinctiveness of my people, it's this right here. Love God and love your neighbor. Look at how this plays out in fulfilling the law. Loving God fulfills the first four. Having no gods before me, making no idols, not taking the Lord's name in vain, keeping the Sabbath day holy. That is what it looks like to love God. And then he says, now love others, love your neighbor. And you see that played out in the rest, five through 10. And so what Jesus is coming to do is he's saying, look, I fulfilled this law and now I'm gonna give you the DNA of how to play this out with my power. And I gotta be honest with you, as I, oh man, as I thought about this message, I thought about how controversial the word love is these days. Yeah, we, we're some mm here, because y'all know exact, I don't even gotta say it, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. And before you, I, I'm sorry, this, this is the Lord saying wisdom, Jay. Because here's the thing, I've seen it play off in both, uh, on both sides of the spectrum with this. I've seen things like, well, love is just love, so we can, we can love and do whatever we want. I've also seen people in the name of love become very, very hateful. And so what I'm trying to get at today and what I hope that we get today is that Jesus and his word embodies a radical love that if you and I were very honest, we cannot produce ourselves. We cannot do it. If he came to fulfill it and then he's giving us instructions and he's saying, hey, I'm gonna give you my spirit. Well, that means we must be dependent on how he loves in a world and a culture that, that is confusing us on what love means. I mean, isn't it fascinating how, how uh, flippantly we use the word love, right? Like you could be in the same sentence and be like, man, you know, I just really love God. And then like a, a couple minutes later, you're like, you know, I just, I just really love Chick-fil-A. And it's like, is that the, is that the same? 
Like, oh, I just, man, I just, I really love my wife. And it's like, man, I really love college football. It's like, is that the, is it, are we talking about the same thing here? Right, we use love so flippantly in our day and age. And what, and, and here's the thing, I gotta be honest. I, I, I am, I'm trying to speak from a place of honesty because sometimes when we look at people who, who stand on these platforms and communicate, we think that they do it perfectly. Can I tell you that I do not? Oh my gosh, I am on a journey, a lifelong journey to sit and practice the love of God because it's not naturally in me. Remember, our disposition that you and I have is towards sin and sin is the absence of love. It's the absence of love. And so if we are going to track love back to its original design and destination, we must trace it all the way back to God. And any definition or anything that does not trace back to God, any definition of love that does not trace back to God, that does not trace back to his character, we ought to call it something else. Not convinced by those? Let me tell you. 1 John 4, 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son in an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Check out this next verse, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us not when we were lovable, not when we were put together, not when we finally figured it out, not when you were done on that keto diet. He says that he demonstrated his love for us that when while we were still sinners, he died for us. A few verses down, it says, while we were enemies. You see, the problem that people don't understand fully is it because of sin, it broke this shalom. It broke this perfect unity. And now we were now just natural enemies of God because of sin. Remember, there, God is holy, which means he has to be set apart. There's no sin that is involved in. That's why it says he made him who knew no sin to be sin. He was so holy that sin had no part of him. And so naturally, because of our sin, it, scripture says that we're enemies of God. We're not his friends, but listen, listen, listen to this next verse, Galatians 4. But when the, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. This is such good news. Because of our sin, we were enemies. And God's like, no, I love you so much that when I die for you, I am now adopting you into my family. I'm not only adopting, I'm making you an heir to this. I'm gonna make you an ambassador of this message. You're not just gonna, no, no, no. We're gonna bear the same last name. 1 John 3, 
in speaking about this love is to see what great love the Father has lavished on us. What that phrase is saying is, yo, there's a love. Oh, what love is this? This is a this is an out of this world type of love. This is a foreign love that you and I don't fully understand or will ever fully sit in. But what love is this that we should be called children of God? Like sit in that reality for a moment. What love is that? That you and I, we are heirs to God. We are now his children. If we put our faith in him, he says, no, 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 you're no longer enemy, you're friend. No, 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 it's not just friends, your son, your daughter, you're my child. And this type of love is, it's an agape love, as scripture talks. It's a love that is others-centered, and it's a sacrificial, caring type of love. God being so others-centered, being so you-minded that he would send his son to sacrifice his son. What most people don't understand about love is that embedded in love is judgment, right? Because when I decided that I'm gonna love my wife and spend my life committed to her, I was making a judgment on every single lady in this room. And that was like, we ain't for each other, I'm for her, right? When y'all make a judgment of like, oh man, I love this team, you're making a judgment that every other team doesn't have your affections. When you say you love to eat at this place, you're making a judgment to say all these other places are not as good as this one. So embedded in love, is a, it's, there's, there's a level of judgment there. But what we talked about last week is that God is the perfect judge. There's no bias in him. There's no favoritism in him. And so he shows us that this type of love, it must be other-centered. It's got to cost you something. I am very leery of Christians who talk about love that doesn't cost them anything. Love is not love unless it's been tested. Can I get an amen to that? Uh-huh. Unless it's been tested. And so God loved us so much that he would sacrifice his son to show us that he ultimately cares for us. And love is the very character and nature of God. And I love what scripture says in 1 John. It says, you and I cannot love because of anything we do or out of our own strength. It says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And many of us in here, we are loving to the capacity that we understand how we have been loved. Our, the, the length of our love is tied to how you and I have been loved. And for many of you, I just want to stop and pause to acknowledge that you grew up in households with parents or with a significant other or with someone that you had loved or that was close to you that has abused that love. And so for you, this feeling of being loved by someone Oh my gosh, it just, it, it, it makes your stomach turn. You don't believe that that can be true. But can I tell you the truest thing about God is, is he didn't pursue us because we pursued him. He loved us because that is who he is. That is his character. That is his pure nature. So if we can grasp a greater understanding of what love is and the question still lies, how can you and I fulfill the first commandment by loving God. 
I think the reason I love Jesus is so, so much is when he put on human flesh, he said, no, I'm gonna model this. I'm gonna, I wanna show you this. And so uh, what it says throughout scripture are things like um, Jesus becoming so, in Ephesians 2, he became so obedient to the point of death. He became so obedient to the Father. There's a scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is there and he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He knows what's about to happen. All of our sin and God's judgment, because he loves us, all of God's judgment was gonna be placed on his son. And he knows it's coming. And here in the garden, he says, ah, if you could remove this. He knows what's about to happen. If you could remove it. But then he goes on to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Yours. Jesus showed his father his love through his obedience to the point of death because of love. Because of love. And most Christians, I understand this, often focus on obedience when it comes to loving God. You see, the gospel says, I am loved, therefore I obey. Religion says, I obey in order to get love. The good news of the gospel says, no, 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 family. Like you are loved. And out of that love, we are to obey. But because most Christians tend to focus simply on obedience, I want us to focus on the soil that obedience grows in and it grows out of. And it's surrender. It's surrender. You see, God does not simply just want our compliance. He doesn't just want little robots saying, yes, master, yes, I comply, let's move on, I obey, let's... No, 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 God just doesn't simply want your compliance, he wants your hearts. You see what it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. He wants our love, he wants us to surrender to his love. James K.A. Smith says this, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to supply deposit new, to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. You see, I know a brand of Christianity that's really good at just loving God with their mind. Loving God with their mind. And what happens is when you don't fully surrender your heart over to this God, he, he's unable to, to, to fully shape your desires. Listen to what Jesus said to the religious leaders in Matthew 23. When talking to his people, to his disciples, to his followers about these religious leaders in Matthew 23, the religious leaders knew the law. Oh, they knew the mind of God. They knew the mind of the scriptures. But listen to what Jesus says about them. He says to his followers, do everything they tell you. They know this stuff, but don't do what they do. For they do not practice what they know. It's, there's a difference when you take, the, the, the difference from your mind to your heart is catastrophic for how, by how you love people. The religious leaders, it says, oh, they knew about these things. 
but their hearts were far from God. Because what ends up happening is how they then began to love other people. It says in that same verse that they began to reap heavy burdens, burdens that God did not put there. They began to add all these other laws of, of what you need to do in order to follow Jesus. I see this and it's, and it drives me crazy all the time now. You need to vote this way if you are a Christian. You are reaping, you are throwing heavy burdens onto people that God did not put there. The kingdom of God and, and the love of God is not found in a political party. I'm sorry. It's found in the man of Jesus. The problem is because, because Christians are so pharisaical, because they only love God half-heartedly even with their minds, that what ends up happening is, is we get things that are built, empires that are built that, that don't have the character of God. He's saying that don't, do, even though they tell, don't be like them because they don't even do the very thing that they say they're going to do. They didn't fully surrender their hearts to God. And when you and I, when we do not surrender our hearts, when we do not surrender ourselves to God, we do not, we don't allow faith to work through love. Where there is no faith, there can be no real love. Faith is the energy that empowers love. Faith in Jesus, faith in the gospel, faith in the good news that has been proclaimed over you and I. You see, the problem with Adam and Eve from the beginning is that they didn't have faith that God was good. They thought God was holding out. And so that disbelief led to them pursuing their own way. They lost faith. And so when you and I lose faith in the love that God has lavished over us, we do not love people in the way of Jesus. We love people in the way of convenience. We love people in a self-soothing type of way. But another reason we lack faith, and, and I know that this, this is for many, we lack faith because we are hit with moments where it feels like God has failed to love us. Many of you in here have lacked faith to really love people well because you really don't even feel like God loves you. Can I be honest? 2022 was that year for me. Last year, three knee surgeries, $19,000 in medical debt. We moved out to Redlands two months in. Our, our pipes burst in our, as I'm in the hospital, our pipes burst in our only bathroom. 10 plus thousand dollars to fix that. Y'all, home insurance, you want to talk about sin. You want to talk about consequences of the fall, home insurance, my God. And I'll be honest with you, someone backed into my car during that time. So we had a claim out on medical, on our house, on our car. And I'll be completely honest, we did not feel like God loved us. We did not feel like he loved us. And that was a very hard season for me to really love my wife, for me to really love my kids, because honestly, I felt like God had just been failing at loving me. Some of you know how that feels. That thing you've been praying for that's still not happening, the trauma that you're currently sitting in and wrestling through, the bad breakup, the bad divorce, the, the, the family conflict, the pain, the, the abuse, like, how could a good God allow these things to happen? 
And so many of us lack faith to love in the way of Jesus because we simply lack faith that God can love us really well. And so could I be honest, I, one of the things I learned during that time is that God is a really good father and his love often does not look the way I desire it. Remember, his love is out of this world. It's, we can't calculate his kind of love. His is the kind of love that you look in hindsight and say, oh, I see what you were doing. Because what I understood in that time, God's love showed up in the form of suffering. As weird as it sounds, there's no other belief system that has an answer to this. It showed up in the form of suffering because what God was essentially, what I got from the God after processing last year was, Jay, I love you too much for things to always go well for you. I love you too much because here's what happens, Jay. When things always go well for you, guess what? You lose your dependence on me. You lose your dependence on me. So again, God's form of love is not the way of love that our world often paints it, which is we approve of everything, do whatever makes you happy, do whatever feels good. No, 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 that's not the love of God because God showed his love through sacrifice and it was costly. And sometimes God, God's love is gonna have you walking through seasons where you are gonna be left with nothing but him. And for some of you here today, I just pray that God would reinvigorate your faith in such a way to say, you know what? I'm looking at my circumstances. They don't look like you love me, but I know that that's just your character and who you are. So I'm gonna have faith and believe that. God loves you too much to allow things to always go your way. He's not a genie, he's a savior. And his love, it says in scripture, is perfect. Can I show you a, a, a picture of, of, of what this perfect love is supposed to look like? It, it, if you look on the screen, it looks like God, he, 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 lo- he came down to love and he loved us. And then when we go to love God, what ends up happening is this perfect kind of love that is, that is going to turn up in loving our neighbor. This is what's radical about Jesus. His love is an enemy love. It's an enemy love. When the teachers and the, the scribes and the Pharisees were asking the question of, well, if you want me to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? Because what in that cultural context, what they did then and what they tend to do now is we tend to draw boundaries around who our actual neighbor is. And our neighbor is based off of our preferences and not actually who is around us. And so what happens is when we, when we love in this perfect type of way of, of taking the love of God and then loving through him to love people, we are able to love people in a radical kind of way. But one of our problems is, is that we have disordered loves. And disordered loves look, look like this, is that God loves us, but then we take that love and we don't, we don't do the first one. We don't, the first commandment is no longer loving God. We go straight to people. And part of the reason why we go straight to people is because we don't trust God. And so we go straight to people because we tried to, 
by way of, of, of loving people seek fulfillment in the only thing that God can give us. And so this kind of love is actually not love. It's called alone. And it's called alone because what happens is if you are not first loving God, when then you try and love people, you're asking people to fulfill the place that God can only be. And so what happens is when you pursue not loving God, but just going straight to people, you start trying to find approval from people. You start trying to find acceptance from people. And when things go haywire, your entire identity is rocked because you're not living and you're not leading from a place of love. And what ends up happening here in this type of love is in, in the disordered love, we pursue what's convenient. We have preferential love. We don't have perfect love. We have preferential love. So what ends up happening here is through worldly love, we love people that look like us, act like us, think like us, vote like us. And we curate a world that, that's love based on our preferences. But can I be honest with you? I'm looking at a world that is trying to understand what kind of love is going to drive out all this hate that we see. It's not going to be through this disordered love. It's going to be through a love that is rightly ordered. Put the picture back up, the perfect love. A love that comes from God. A love that flows to God. It says, God, we love you. We're not going to put any idols before you. Our greatest longing and desire is going to be you. And from that place, we get to love people that you loved. Because God, you know what? You modeled that. While we were enemies, it said that you loved us so much that you would send your son to die for us. And the problem is, many of you see people and things as a barrier to your peace when God is trying to let you see it as a bridge to your sanctification. Let me say that one more time. Many of you have people in your life Oh, it's that other party. It's that other, those other people. You see them as a barrier to your peace. And what, what God is saying, no, 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 no. I put them in your life because it is going to be not a barrier, but a bridge to your sanctification. If you don't know what that word is, sanctification is simply this. It is going to be a bridge to you becoming more like me because you and you were my enemy. And I loved you so much that I gave up my son for you sacrificially. And this kind of love, this radical shaping love can only be produced by right ordered loves. God's love is category defining. It is an enemy love. It is an enemy love that right before he would go to the cross, he would wash his disciples' feet. He would wash the very one Judas who would portray him. Too often I see Christians complaining about how other people's feet are dirty instead of actually washing them. Category, redefining type of love. It is only this perfect love that can soften a hard heart. It is only this perfect love that can renew trust after it's been shattered. It is only this perfect love that can inspire acts of genuine self-sacrifice. Only this perfect love that can free us from the dizzying effects of fear that this world projects. There is nothing more important than in, in life than learning to love and be loved. Dallas Willard says, being able to love others is a matter of taking care of yourself 
And that is not selfish unless that is a matter of you running your kingdom and doing what you want and disregarding the well-being of other people. Did you catch that? He says, then it is wrong. Right, we do live in a very like self-help, self-love type. But, but what, what Dallas is getting at is the way that you help yourself love yourself is not by looking at yourself, it's by looking at God. And he says, look, if that self-love produces a love that can be found in the kingdom, then great. But if it's producing a love that is you running your own kingdom of self, then that's wrong. The other thing Jesus modeled that I want us just to take away is that in order to love God well, you and I have to get to the quiet place. Jesus modeled this in his life. The demands of the people were much, but then you'd always see him go up to the mountain to be with the Father, to be in his presence. This just back and forth. Corey Tenboom says that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And some of us are so busy. We are in such a hurry to the demands of life that we cannot sit in stillness with the creator of the universe to experience and have faith in his love. You're so busy doing instead of being with him that you are loving out of a you are loving not out of an overflow of being loved by God, but you are loving out of a seeking potential approval from people that aren't going to satisfy that deep craving, that deep desire of love that God can only provide. You know, whenever um, having four young kids and um, getting a phone call in my house is about near impossible half the time. It's like the kids will be quiet and then all of a sudden I answer the phone, hello, and then it's like everyone goes crazy. I'm like, why is this a thing? And I can't hear. And so what I, what I find myself doing is I have to go into the garage because I have to get away from the noise in order to hear who's on the line. And in order to, to pursue the right ordered kind of first love to God, you and I, we need to get off of social media. We need to get away from all the noise. You need to step back from the work. You need to even... Stop, stop, stop watching that show even. You need to get in the quiet place because God is trying to communicate a love so you can hear him clearly. But it's hard when there's so much noise. It's hard in this world uh, that America drives of more production and you are what your success is and you are what you produce and you are what you make. And God's saying, no, 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 you have value because I said you have value. You have value because I said that you're loved. And so in order for us, my challenge is that, man, would you, would you just pursue just five minutes this week of just being still before God and saying, God, love me. Show me your love. Remind me of your love. God, I want to have faith that you love me the way that you say you love me because I know that if I have faith in that, it'll change the way that I love people. It was on the night of September 6, 2008, 26-year-old accountant Botham Jean was murdered when an off-duty Dallas police patrol officer, Amber Geiger, entered his apartment. She fatally shot him. Geiger, who said that she had entered his apartment believing it was her own, 
believed that he was a burglar. She would initially be charged with manslaughter and then it would be turned to murder. She was sentenced in some controversy. We don't need to get into that. 10 years and at the final, at her arraignment, where she received her sentencing, Botham's 18-year-old brother, Brant, took the stand. And his words would ring loud across our country. He would look at Amber and he would say, I forgive you. And he would say that, Amber, I know that if you go to God and ask him, he'll forgive you too. He says, Amber, I'm speaking for myself, not on behalf of my family, but I love you just like I love anyone else. I'm not gonna say that I hope you rot and die in hell. I actually want what's best for you. And can I tell you what's best for you? Because I believe my brother would want this too. The best for you would be to give your life to Jesus. Because I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that my brother would want to see happen in this situation. I don't wish anything bad on you. And then by the shock of many, he would ask the judge if he can hug her. And he had category defying love. That he would love the very enemy that many people were painting her to be the woman who shot his own brother, he pursues her in love and says, you know what? I forgive you because God has forgiven me and I love you because God has loved me. Look, many of you are on journeys. I'm not saying that you need to go and don't hear me say I need, you need to go and love the person that's a, that has abused you. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that I think the way that we give people a renewed picture of Jesus and his church is by a radically different kind of love that the world is offering right now. A love that is rooted in a love that God first loved us, so we love him. A love that is rooted in such a way that the world looks at us and says, who is the God that you serve? I end with a word from Ephesians. This is therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God.